right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Locked on Gators, your daily home for Florida Gators coverage and part of the Locked on Podcast Network. I'm your host, Zach Goodall. You can throw me a follow on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall. Uh, I don't have Demetrius by my side tonight. Uh, He's feeling a little under the weather, but I am joined by Brandon Carroll. He works with us over at SportsIllustratedAllGators.com. He's been on the show with us before, and I'm sure he's going to do more than fine in Demetrius's place talking about what's been a very, I guess, eventful because of how many names, but at the same time, not an overly exciting early signing period for the Florida Gators. So with that being said, Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be, you know, talking about recruiting because, like you said, it was a, an eventful yet uneventful day simply because of the names that were up, but they didn't really land anyone unexpected, um, like, you know, sometimes happens uh, with other schools. Yeah, and, and we've seen in the past that Florida's had some momentum going into signing day, and then it comes to a screeching halt uh, with misses uh, or, or guys that their names were being floated with. Uh, having their hat at the table for a lot of guys and not ending up getting called. That really only happened with one guy this year, and we're going to talk about him later on. Otherwise, as head coach Dan Mullen said, the the scholarships that they sent out, uh, they got back. And, and there were 21 of them. We're going to break it down with the offense first, and then in our second segment, we're going to go to the defense. Uh, with the offense, because there are fewer guys here, eight offensive guys compared to 12 defensive guys, we will also lump in long snapper Rocco Underwood. Uh, he, he does play tight end as well for Lake Mary High School. Uh, he is the cousin of Johnny and Tony, uh, uh, Tommy Townsend, the two former Florida Gator punters. Uh, I know a lot of people are excited to have him around because special teamers matter. Uh, and, I mean, he's a fun guy who could also end up playing offense in a pinch, I guess, if they really need him to. Because, I mean, I like the Nick Elksness, uh signing at tight end. But Underwood was a more productive tight end in high school when it was all said and done than Elksness. Fun little fact there. But Brandon, we'll we'll start with the offense. Maybe if you want to start with Underwood, if you want to touch on him, or Elksness, or another tight end, Gage Wilcox. But regardless, there is a lot of fun prospects, uh, several pass catchers here that are pretty intriguing. Who stood out to you on that side of the ball for Florida? Well, just to touch on Elksness a little bit, um, you know, uh, during our uh, pre-signing day, uh, you know, extravaganza that we had uh, last night leading up until in the morning, um, I kind of got a chance to look at Elksness uh, at a bit of a closer view. And, um, I, you know, he just fits the prototype of a lean, uh, lengthy pass catcher across the middle that the tight end position has been for Florida in the recent years. And especially it continues to be that way with, uh, you know, Tim Brewster as the guy um, coaching the tight ends right now. Obviously, Gage Wilcox is all, can also fall in that category. Rangy pass catcher, uh, really great red zone target. Um, and he, they're just getting some guys that are, they're tall, they're really physical, and they have room to add weight, but they can also play across the middle. They can, they're faster than the average tight end. And I like what they're doing at the position uh, going forward. But the guy that stands out to me the most um, from this signing class uh, it's none other than Jacksonville native Marcus Burke. Um, if you guys don't know, Zach and I both rep the 904 um, as we are both from Jacksonville. Um, and Marcus Burke plays at Trinity Christian, the newly crowned state champions in their uh, league. And Burke had himself quite a night um, in that state championship game and really just put on display 
the skill set that he uh, provides for the Gators pass catching unit um, as they will be losing a multitude of receivers yet again uh, following the 2020 season. Yeah, he's an electric playmaker. He's a guy that consistently wins vertically. Uh, he's super fast in a straight line. I'm curious to see how he continues to develop. Uh, and you look at Dejon Reynolds, he's not as much of the dynamic threat like that. Uh, rather, he's truly this possession type of receiver with a big body. Yeah, You'd figure he's going to develop as kind of the all-around dude. Whereas Burke, y- you will want to see more from him as he progresses, but I feel like he can probably beat as he goes given his gifted speed just about any cornerback trying to get up vertically yeah I agree and you know I think it's similar to how we saw Tyree Cleveland utilized early on in his uh, Gators career as he is a guy that could get up the field he could win that deep ball really we saw it um, I'm pretty sure at a 99 yarder um, against LSU um, in the, the year that they beat LSU in 2016 uh, following the move through the hurricane to Baton Rouge. And then also um, the game winner, the heave to cleave against Tennessee. And then we started to see him develop as more of a, you know, possession receiver as he went on. And so he was able to be like, he was able to have the opportunity to, you know, be more of a focal point in the offense alongside some of the other guys like Van Jefferson, Freddie Swain, Josh Hammond. And so I think Reynolds fits that similar growth pattern uh, or, Burke fits that similar growth pattern um, to Cleveland. And then obviously you have Reynolds, who is going to be um, the the guy that goes out there and he is able to be a rely, reliable yet uh, physically towering wide receiver for the Gators to use. Yeah, they're recruiting like that recently. I pointed that out last year as well, that they are trying to add a ton of length, it seems. And at first they seem to kind of deny it, saying, oh, yeah, well, next year we'll go out and get some smaller guys. But – I mean, the only guy that's really like that is Charles Montgomery. Uh, yeah. As of now, he is not yet signed. There's a couple guys that have not signed that are commits to this class, and we'll see how all of that goes. Uh, obviously, you don't want to see anyone get dropped or anything like that, and nah, I, I'm not trying to accuse UF of doing that. At the same time, we did see a story come out about Dakota Mitchell being asked to apparently wait to sign until February. He said no, so they went ahead and sent him his papers uh, but otherwise, Florida did have, I think it was a total of five commits not end up signing today. That being wide receiver Trevante Rucker, offensive lineman Adrian Strickland, uh, Montgomery, like I said, uh, running back transfer from Clemson, Demarcus Bowman, as well as offensive lineman Javante Gardner from Jones High School. A lot of offensive guys there. We will certainly have our eyes out uh, towards February to make sure if Florida does end up getting these guys into the class. Now, Brandon, before we move on to the defense, I would also t- like to take a look at the t- two quarterbacks. Uh, they haven't yeah. done this since, uh, since <laughs> I guess, the 2016 class, Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask. Bringing two quarterbacks in that time obviously worked out pretty well, um, especially in hindsight. They, they were able to get a decent amount out of Franks, and then the transition to Trask was pretty seamless. They would certainly hope one way or another they can get similar production out of both quarterbacks in the 2020 class in Carlos Del Rio and Jalen Kitna. We'll see if that's how it ends up panning out. It is a bit of a crowded quarterback room um, with Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson, uh, Del Rio, and Kitna in it for the next couple of years. But what do you like about these two different passers? 
Well, ultimately, at the end of the day, I think it just provides so much more depth to a quarterback uh, room that, uh, you know, lacked it for so many years um, before Dan Mullen's arrival to Gainesville. And just being able to take, obviously, uh, Del Rio, who was the main quarterback target of this class. Dan Mullen uh, really had his eye on him uh, throughout the longevity of his recruitment process uh, early upon, you know, in, in his high school career. Um, and then Kitna obviously coming in as the reliable, uh, you know, he, he's the guy that you can trust to manage a game if anything goes awry once those two uh, really start uh, being, uh, as I'd say, the focal points of the offense once guys like Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson move on um, from the program. However, I think that Del Rio just provides, he, he, he has so many intangibles that he is going to be a guy that if he de- develops correctly and develops on path that he's supposed to, um, he has a legitimate shot uh, you know, to be able to play that similar type of role, to the, obviously not in the same uh, regard as Kyle Trask, because it's hard to really uh, anticipate a Heisman candidate season. However, he's going to be able to spread the ball around. His accuracy is just it's going to be able to allow uh, some of the receivers to, you know, he's going to op- create openings for receivers. And then also his athleticism is going to keep the defense a bit honest um, as they are trying to, uh, maneuver about and really play the Gators offense as we're going to see it progress um, coming up. Uh, it's going to be difficult. And I think that both of those quarterbacks provide well, pretty solid opportunities for the Gators to continue, uh, you know, building upon uh, the offense that Damlin has implemented since arriving. Yeah. And I think Del Rio is a really good fit for what Mullen wants to do. And, and we've talked about that before that Trask t- technically isn't, the most ideal fit because he's just not that mobile. And, and I want to say, I don't want to say that Del Rio is the most athletic quarterback prospect yeah. out there, but I think he's athletic enough. Uh, you yeah. do have yeah. to respect his ability to run the ball. And then as a passer, he is pretty anticipatory. Uh, he is accurate. He doesn't necessarily have the greatest deep ball, but he can really, really take what you give him. And, and as he continues to develop, especially in a system like this, I think you're right that it should, he should fit it pretty well. Uh, I'm excited yeah. to see how he pans out as well as Kitna because he's got a lot of potential and there's been a lot of growth there as well. Uh, when we come back, we are going to be flipping over to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Florida had 12 signees over on that side. Uh, really a full defense when things are all said and done, as head coach Dan Mullen liked to say as well today. Uh, when we come back, we'll be breaking down everything we see on that side of the ball. What's up, everybody? This is Zach Goodall, host of the Locked On Gators podcast. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Whether it's work, friends, family, a million pressing social issues, or just an expectation in general to be on 24-7. Sometimes you need to just take a moment, turn off, hit reset. You need to chill. That's when you reach for a Coors Light, especially on game days, man. I'll tell you what, I can't really drink much during college football Saturdays, but on NFL Sundays, it's therapeutic for me, man, to sit down, drink a beer, and enjoy some football. And that's what I do. I'll reach for a Coors Light. It's the official beer of watching any sport, just to drink beer. It's mountain cold refreshment that's literally made to chill. It's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. Coors Light is the beer I choose when I need to unwind. So when you need to hit reset, Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light 
in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coreslight.com. That's get.coreslight.com to get Coors Light delivered straight to your door. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. All right, Brandon. So you see there's a lot of lot of talent uh, on all levels of the defense throughout what we've seen from this class so far, uh, and there's still room for them to continue adding more guys. I am curious to see how they're going to approach it over the next couple months, if they're going to want to fill the last several spots with high school prospects, save a few for the transfer portal, as that should only get crazier and crazier and crazier uh, with with the with the waiver uh, that people won't need to sit, especially now yeah. that's coming out, and there's going to still be so much confusion with that. But at that point, they are going to want to save a few spots, so maybe not much more coming to the defense, but you got to be impressed with the, what they've pulled so far. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm specifically, I'm looking at a weak spot for the Gators in terms of their safety and defensive line, uh, you know, lack of depth or really talent at those spots. Um, you know, they're able to go out and get one of the best safety prospects in Corey Collier Jr. Um, to be able to bolster that unit, as well as two guys that I believe to be some of the most underrated prospects in terms of the college football landscape and Desmond Watson and even Chris Thomas Jr., who Dan Mullen talked about a bit, um, you know, during his presser today. And I just think those two guys can really anchor down the middle for a Gators defense that will be losing to Daryl Slayton and Kyrie Campbell. And as a result, they're going to have opportunities to play early if that progression uh, goes on as, as it should. Now there's one guy that I'm sure you're a lot more familiar with than me. Uh, his recruitment took place before I joined the Florida beat. And two years later, here he is finally actually getting in with Florida. He had an uphill battle. He had to go the Juco route. That being D one black, the guy from Mississippi ended up coming, um, playing some high school ball here in Florida as well. He's someone that was pledged to Dan Mullen back when he was the Mississippi state head coach. Uh, he had some academic issues really early in his high school career that set him back. It's the reason that he had to go to JUCO in the first place, but it's a story of perseverance. I think he's probably every Florida Gator fan's favorite recruit for that reason. Uh, tell me your thoughts on D1 Black, both his story uh, to make it out of his situation and end up finding a way to get into a really tough school to get into academically being Florida, as well as what you like about him and his fit in this defense. Well, at the end of the day, I think that it's admirable what he was what he has been able to do since you know being rejected from joining the Gators when he had originally planned. Obviously, um, there's a lot of things in life that we don't necessarily see coming, um, and you know some things can kind of change our course of what we believe to be the path that we're on. And that happened with Black, and you know during his high, coming out of high school, and he he took the road less traveled and really made his made his mark. Uh, by doing so. I mean, he's the number one overall rated Juco prospect. Um, he is going to really, in my opinion, be that anchor on the defense. He's going to be a leader. He's going to be someone that fills in as a just, uh, he's going to be the head guy. He's going to be the quarterback of the defense. And because of that, we're going to see Dewan Black uh, in his two years of eligibility at Florida. Uh, I think he makes a significant splash really upon his arrival simply because he is one of the better prospects that Dan Mullen has found since coming to Florida. And he's so he's, he bleeds orange and blue and he's motivated to be able to prove that those two years that he lost is not going to define him in terms of being able to play at the top 
level of you know the SEC at Florida as well as make the next jump to the NFL when that does come time. Yeah, the dude is certainly capable. He's a linebacker that can also drop and play safety. He's one of those new age hybrid guys. He's 6'4", 215, uh, but he'll probably play linebacker and he can probably line up and cover one of your best receivers. Uh, really curious to see how they utilize a player like that. Similarly to Mumu Diabate, but at the same yeah. time, I think Black is honestly more athletic and certainly a lot bigger. It, it will yeah. be an interesting fit. Uh, another guy being like Derek Wingo almost as well. It's just these guys that are so versatile. Maybe they're not even the best pure linebacker fits, but that's that's exactly what they're trying to toy with in the middle of their defense, and I'm curious to see how it pays off. They've also had another linebacker in Chief Borders end up signing today who is pretty big. He's like 6'5", 242. He could end up playing Buck as well. He's big enough and looks the part of a pass rusher, especially coming off the weak side. So I am curious to see exactly how those bodies will shape out. Now in the secondary, they also added five guys in Jason Marshall, uh, Jordan Young, Dakota Mitchell, uh, Corey Collier, and Donovan McMillan. I think the easy answer, because he's he's the five-star, he's a guy that people expect could come in and play early, even opposite of Kyer Elam maybe, as a, as a true freshman. Uh, everyone really has these high expectations of Jason Marshall. So whether it's him or whether it's another member, who's someone that stands out to you that could... A, make an immediate impact in the secondary and also long-term make the biggest impact? I think at the end of the day, the guy that I keep going back to is Corey Collier Jr. I just think that his ability to play in the back end, his ability to play one high, which is something we haven't seen from a Florida safety in quite some time. Um, you know, it's been a major problem uh, with guys like Donovan Steiner and, you know, Sean Davis, even last year with Jawan Taylor. They just, we just haven't, or Florida just hasn't had a guy to uh, really – uh, allow them to play some of the press coverage that, uh, you know, a guy like Kyrie Elam uh, excels at. It really even, um, you know, Jason Marshall or uh, even Jordan Young, who, who's had success as a uh, press coverage uh, cornerback. So I think at the end of the day, Corey Collier Jr. really is the glue to this uh, it, this corner, you know, def- defensive back class um, just because of uh, his abilities at safety. Obviously, it can be um, difficult um, to play, you know, uh, at the cornerback position if you don't have anyone else uh, to rely on to be able to, you know, while the offense is trying to take the top off. However, uh, you know, Corey Collier Jr., Donovan McMillan really provide that uh, ability to allow the cornerbacks to just uh, get up in the faces of receivers uh, and, you know, be physical, but also uh, take chances, I-, I should say, which – in the end provides for more opportunities to create turnovers, which is something Florida, you know, that, that that's something they pride themselves on. Yeah. And I think the cherry on top would be if they can find a way to get Terry on Arnold into this class, yeah. who will be deciding in February. He's one of those rare guys now that still stays true to the national signing day part of it. Otherwise, I mean, you see it 21 guys in Florida's class going ahead and getting it done in the early period. Uh, I think those guys will make a huge impact. I also think that Dakota Mitchell will, I had mentioned yeah. earlier there was the Orlando Sentinel story that came out that apparently UF asked him to push back his signing. He said, no, uh, I, I want to be a Gator early. I'm either going to do that or I'm going to look elsewhere. Uh, Would have been a huge mistake, in my opinion, if Florida had let him go. This guy is, I think, a perfect fit for their star role. 
he has experience playing the nickel role. Uh, he even this year kind of did more of a robber role in Winter Park's defense, which expanded on his ability as a free hitter, reading the three, uh, and playing the true middle of the field uh, in the second level of the defense. He could blitz, he could get after the quarterback, get after the rusher, just depending on his reads, but he had a lot of flexibility. Uh, and he comes down and he plays with great angles, great anticipation against the run and makes booming hits, uh, likes to lower his shoulder and come in and uh, lay the wood. And at the same time, he's also a pretty gifted uh, coverage guy. He he may not be the most dynamic coverage guy just yet. He'll continue to progress, but he's a really good athlete. You want to continue developing guys like him. The potential for him in the star role and we've seen Trevez Johnson look pretty good as they've dedicated resources to this actual position rather than just trying to change a linebacker or change a safety. Uh, Mitchell and Johnson, I think you finally have a pretty good foundation for this star position in the defense. Absolutely. And that's something that I was actually going to say uh, prior you know, to you mentioning it is the fact that they're going out and they're intentionally going after players that can project to play at the next level at the star position because it is such an important part of their defense that really has not been the same since Chauncey Gardner-Johnson left the program uh, following the 2018 season. So being able to go out, get guys like Dakota Mitchell or even Trevez Johnson, who's seen some playing time in his true freshman season, uh, uh, is a huge step forward um, in being able to anchor down that nickel uh, nickel slot you know, position because – uh, it, that's becoming an increasingly more important position in today's game, considering the slot receivers uh, of today are so much more dynamic um, in, in terms of being, you know, there's so many different uh, lineups that they can have. And being able to cover inside is uh, a overwhelmingly uh, difficult task, but the players that are good at it can make themselves some money as they move on to the next level. Yeah, Mitchell's a guy that, honestly, I I really love his tape, and I think that he's someone that could end up doing that uh, on the right career path at Florida. One guy that did not choose the career path to Florida, Xavier Sori, the linebacker out of IMG Academy in Graysville, Florida. UF was his first offer, and they pushed for him the entire way. Uh, a lot of the time, it was easy to project him going to Florida, but that did not end up being the case. When we come back from this quick break, we'll be talking about what happened there in really Florida's only disappointment of the day for the Wednesday of the 2020-2021 early signing period. Brandon, so we learned at about 1.45 today that a priority recruit for Florida, the number two linebacker in the nation, number 17 overall prospect by Sports Illustrated All-American. Uh, linebacker Xavier Sori of IMG Academy, formerly of Graceville, and that's where he actually ended up signing, which is uh, north, northwest of Gainesville. Um, he ended up going to Georgia. He left the state, and you know that was not someone that Florida wanted to lose out on. We talked about they added some guys at linebacker, guys that can play linebacker, but Sori is a legit, just full-blown linebacker, the type of guy that can change the room for the next three years and a guy that could have probably started at Florida right out of the gate. Uh, instead, he goes to Georgia. They they take the defenders that they want to take, even from the state of Florida, Um even over Alabama here, because Alabama was in this one as well. Alabama has Coach Sal Sinceri, who was at Florida and was the guy that actually offered Sori when uh, Florida sent him his first offer. 
But that relationship did not end up working out, and instead it was Georgia that was able to secure his talent. So how big of a loss do you think him going to Georgia is for the Gators? Well, I think that it's a major loss, and I don't think there's any other way to look at it. I mean, Xavier's story is, an, like you said, an immediate game changer, room changer for that linebacker group, uh, that linebacker position room. Um, and I just think that uh, at the end of the day, uh, continuing to lose in-state uh, prospects to Georgia, a team that you have to face year in and year out in Jacksonville, is not ideal in terms of being able to compete and uh, you know continuing to rid of the the talent gap that Georgia currently holds over Florida um, look, by looking at some of the high school ratings that Georgia employs um, throughout their roster. Uh, I, I think that as for Gator fans, it's specifically. Uh, uh, more difficult seeing him go to Georgia or Alabama, considering Georgia is a consistent Georgia is a team that you will see year in and year out. Um, while you know, if for in any year, obviously Alabama is a con- constantly rotating. If Florida can get to the SEC championship game, they're likely to see the Crimson Tide there as they will this weekend. However, Georgia just makes it to where he's going to be a legitimate uh threat to a, a season that makes them be able to go to the, win the East. Um, along with uh, Smale Munden. Am, am I saying that right? I believe so. Uh, I, okay. I didn't really get to know Smale that much. Yeah. I will say that is quite the athletic linebacker duo. Yeah, and Facebook is. fans obviously do not represent the majority or hopefully not much of the fan base because we know how Facebook comments can be sometimes. Uh, a lot of Florida fans are saying, eh, we won't miss out too much on Sorry. And I was like, oh, well, I, I guess you've never watched Sorry. Uh, we've seen Georgia linebacker groups before look pretty good. These two paired together, I don't think Florida is going to be able to run the ball much whatsoever as long as these two will be shooting gaps against the Gators in future years uh, when it comes to playing each other in Georgia. Yeah, and that's going to be a concern, especially going forward, as I believe there to be a significant shift in how Florida runs their offense following this season with Emory Jones stepping into uh, that number one role at quarterback, most likely um, as of right now. So not being able to run the football in Jacksonville against Georgia could really mean the you know continued kind of – obviously Florida won this season. Um, however, the continued dominance of Georgia in the past few years over the Gators. Yeah, and now one thing that I would like to focus on, we mentioned him a little bit ago, Terrion Arnold. He and Sori are very close. I guess there's a little bit of a step back now. One of them, I believe it was Arnold, said that they aren't exactly a package deal. When we talked, or when I talked to Sori with a couple other guys after the uh, IMG game against Edgewater earlier this year, he made it sound like he and Arnold really want to play together at the next level. Um, I don't know exactly if Georgia has that type of room in their secondary at this point. I still like the idea of Arnold to Florida. I think that he'll end up seeing a great opportunity, even with the two safeties plus Mitchell that they signed today. I mean, this is a safety room that's going to lose, projected to lose, I guess I should still say at this point, given the eligibility, uh, flexibility this year. But with Sean Davis going to the Senior Bowl, uh, Donovan Steiner accepting a quote-unquote invite to the Shrine Bowl, even though that won't be happening this year. Uh, Brad Storp being a safety, or, or no, a senior, and, and not only is he a safety, but he's played star. He's probably uh, out of the picture unless he were to come back, but at that point, you've got 
Rashad Torrance and Mordecai McDaniel as your only two returning safeties at that point. And they'd be uh, sophomores or a redshirt freshman for McDaniel at that point. You factor in Collier and McMillan, you've got four guys that you like, but Arnold is another one of those, wow, this guy can come out. He can play right now. He's super athletic. He's lengthy. He can make an impact. He's rangy. He could probably do a lot of different coverages. He could probably do the single high, uh, similar to Collier. We'll see if that whole package deal thing ends up being true with Sori or not. Like I said, I think I, I, I like the odds of Arnold coming to Florida a little bit more at this point. Uh, but that'll be one that we'll certainly have our eyes on as we get closer to February. Absolutely. And, you know, we're looking at Arnold and Arnold immediately becomes the top safety in this class upon his uh, com- you know commitment slash signing if he decides Florida is the place he wants to go and, you know, carry out his uh, collegiate career for the next three to four years, however long that he plays. But he will be a significant factor in year one. And I think because of the rotation that the safety group has seen in the past, I, st- I think with the increased talent, in my opinion, uh, coming in, we could still see, you know, upwards of four or five safeties playing in a consistent role uh, for the Gators, even after the departure of, you know, Steiner, Davis, and Stewart. Yeah, they got to figure it out. As we've said throughout the year, that safety room, even though they've got some vets back there, it's just not been that pretty. So you'd hope that this class, uh, especially if they can get the cherry on top in Arnold, can fix that. It will be one to watch moving forward. And that should just about do it for today's episode of Locked On Gators. Brandon, I want to thank you for hopping on today to recap what was, as you said, an eventful yet uneventful early signing period for the Florida Gators. At least day one. Maybe maybe we could see a little bit more over the Thursday-Friday stretch, but I wouldn't really bank on it at this point. Anyway, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm, I'm down to come on anytime. I always enjoy it uh, whenever I'm on here. So, And if you guys don't yet, make sure to go follow Brandon on Twitter at It's B Carol, as well as myself at Zach underscore Goodall and the most important handle to follow at Locked On Gators. If you're feeling a little sympathetic because Demetrius isn't feeling that great right now, you can follow him too at Demetrius. 82 and tell him that Brandon did a better job than he did on the show. Uh, exciting early signing period. 21 commits put pen to paper and the ink has dried. They are now Florida Gators. Make sure to go uh, welcome them on Twitter as well while you're at it if you're following us. And, and, and while we're telling you to do stuff, of course, go and subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast on iTunes or anywhere else that you can listen to podcasts. We'll catch up with you guys next time.